We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The reverse and the rookie to rookie action outside the through Dort. He'll get the flyby. Three on the way, and he rattles it in. SGA defended closely by Westbrook. Tough step back, gets up the shot. Bakes it in. This is Udort. You're listening to the Uncontested. What is up, and welcome to the Uncontested Podcast. We are coming to you live Sunday night, February 27th. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube tonight. If you haven't joined the stream before, I highly encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel and join us every Sunday night and after every Thunder game. We are a proud partner of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, the official podcast of SIThunder.com. And man... Do we have a full squad for you tonight to break everything down? I am your host for the evening, Jacob Niffen. We have soon-to-be dad, Taylor Peterson. Hey, uh, go Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, first first all-NBA rap team. We have soon-to-be three-time dad, Justin Peabody. <laughs> Suck it, Taylor. <laughs> We've got dad to probably some bastard children he doesn't know about, Nick Crane. Jeez. <laughs> Quite the accusation. To which I say false. And we have somebody sunk because he's the baby of the podcast, JD Silva. Fellas. He's the podcast's large adult son. Yes. <laughs> uh, I just kind of winged those. So. We need to get Nick a uh, Mori Povich segment. The lie or the the uh, lie detector test determined that was a lie. <laughs> you are the father. Incredible. Um, shout out to everybody that's in the stream again. If you haven't subbed to our YouTube channel, please do so. Just on YouTube, the uncontested. Uh, you can join us in the chat every Sunday night. We'll get to some of these comments, uh, like why does Bay sound like Polo G? Um, and they low key should get Bays to wrap an intro for them. Colin Reed says, I, I don't know if that's for the uncontested. Duh. Um, Slide the real question, Bays. The real question is when are we getting a Trey 1K featuring Bays? That's track? right on the SoundCloud. 
I'm ready for it. Yes. Ready for spaghetti. All right, gentlemen, we have basketball to talk about. It has been, oh, uh, God, a week and a half since we've actually talked about basketball with this team, uh, all of us together. So super excited to do that. And man, these past two games, have they provided some content for us to talk about. Um, some people worried that all is not great in Thunderland, but don't worry. We're here to break it all down for you. First, let's jump in into a weekend review. Thunder only played two games this past week, guys, coming out of the All-Star break. They played Thursday and Friday night. Thursday, they lose to Phoenix in a pretty spirited game. Friday night, second night of a back-to-back, they went up to Indiana, beat the Pacers in the 2022 Tankathon uh, in OT, where both teams desperately tried to lose. Pacers were just a little bit better. Um, I mean, you think about that game. That fourth quarter, Shea missed two free throws. Mm-hmm. And then Tyrese Halliburton declined to take an ISO possession against Isaiah Roby and passed to his uh, rim-running center who was lined up at the corner three-point spot <laughs> who s- promptly stepped out of bounds. Ugh, just Straight out of the hinky playbook. Yep. This is tanking 101 for beginners. Um, one of the big themes from these first two games, guys, is that my, my note here says half the damn team is out. Nick, they did a uh, post-practice availability today. You were listening into a little bit of that. Uh, tell us about some of the updates for some of these guys. No updates for anybody besides Josh Giddy. His hip soreness seems to be more than just hip soreness because he's not playing tomorrow. And Dagnall said he may even be out longer than that. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call that soreness, but there's something going on there. But outside of him, no updates on Dort, no updates on Kenrich, no updates on anybody else. So to boil it down to one sentence, um, this team's still going to have like a third of the roster out for the foreseeable future. Is it time to uh, to pull our inner Alex Jones put on the tinfoil hat and start to buy into some Josh Giddy conspiracy theories. Josh told the team, Hey, my hips a little flared up after last night's game. A little, what up? They flared up. Oh, I, I heard a <laughs> little furred up. <laughs> little little furred up. You sounded a little bit like a boom from King of the Hill there for a second. I couldn't tell. <laughs> he got dang old hips or me. <laughs> Hell you what? He gets checked out, you know, and, uh, you know, it might look fine. But the doctors come back to Josh and say, man, this looks a little little serious. You might want to take off a couple weeks. And here we are. There's your tinfoil hat uh, conspiracy theory time with Taylor. They just oh. walk in and circle the x-ray with a Sharpie. They're like, yep. Yeah, <laughs> oh, it's messed up bad. <laughs> Someone forgot to change the toner in the x-ray printer. <laughs> is, this, uh, is this plan A is the question? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's what should make, be on the... Uh, make Shay happy. That's what should be on the injury report. D- Josh D- plan out. A. Plan A. <laughs> That'd be a cool uh, t-shirt. That, oh, oh. We'd, we'd ruffle some feathers with that one. Well, I as think. long as that's not a plan B t-shirt. Oh, it's different. It supports planned parenthood, folks. <laughs> Nick, right, Nick? Okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Oh, man. (laughs) All right. Well, one of the bigger storylines, not the biggest storyline. We'll get to that. Don't worry. But one of the bigger storylines from these two games out of the break is that Shea Gilgis-Alexander has returned 
uh, after nearly a month long month long absence. Only ten games, but when you tack on the All Star break there as well, it came out to pretty close to a full calendar month. In those two games, Shea has completely and totally shined. He averaged thirty four points on fifty six percent from the field. That includes only 20% from three. He was two of 10 from three in those two games. Still shot 56% from the field. And that's not like going up against some scrubs on the front line. I mean, that first game was against DeAndre Ayton, Mm -hmm. who's a really good rim protector. And then when DeAndre Ayton wasn't in there, um, oh, I'm going blank. Who's the Phoenix backup big? JaVale? JaVale McGee, also a good rim protector. Shea just, just torched him. 34 points per game, uh, three steals, five rebounds, five assists. That's a robust Pretty stat good. line. Yeah, Justin, how have you felt about Shea's return and just uh, the performance he's put on? Am I allowed to say that Shea's return made me feel giddy? <laughs> um, I love it. No, it was, it was fantastic. I think I tweeted very early on. I was covering that Phoenix game on the account. That like I missed Shea drives. Like it's just watching the Thunder play with Shea. It's just so different than when he's not out there. The the dimension that his driving ability brings to the offense completely changes how the entire team plays because of how he's a he's so crafty at getting into the lane and drawing attention, he's drawing double teams like every time up the floor and splitting and, them almost and spli- every time <laughs> and splitting them. <laughs> Uh, and so it, it's super impressive to see what he's able to do one off a month of rest and two with that much defensive attention being called to him. He just continues to impress me. I think his, his ceiling continues to look extremely high and I continue to be extremely entertained anytime he's on the floor. I've got a question for you, Justin. So I guess considering last year, Shea was ultra efficient this year for the most part, he's been less efficient like not inefficient but just not yeah. last year's number right um if if last year is is kind of the ceiling and, and this season is the floor where do you think he truly is in terms of like long long-term scalability with his efficiency if this season's the floor that's fantastic yeah um, no kidding <laughs> but in terms of like shooting efficiency i i do wonder like he loves that step back three but for 98% of players, a step back three is not going to be the most efficient shot. And it was very clear, like in training camp, like it's something that he's been working on. We, we've we been seeing him in the practice videos, like working on that sidestep, step back three. I kind of wonder if this offseason, he goes back to basics a little bit more. Like you still keep that in your bag, but it's not your go-to. And I think he's good enough and the Thunder should be working to get him three-point opportunities that maybe aren't self-created on a step back. And I think that helps his efficiency numbers a a lot. I just kind of feel like he's kind of leaning on that maybe a little bit too much this year. Yeah, I think this is a a whole nother conversation that I'm sure we'll we'll dive down the rabbit hole at some point. But um, with him taking presumably a less um, consistent ball handling role, with Giddy playing primary point guard um, more down the stretch of the season and potentially in the future, I want to see him get better in rhythm. Like, how many times have you seen Shea sit yes. on the wing or sit in the corner, catch a, catch a, uh, uh, catch the ball, like shoot a, a rhythm three? Like, never, never. It's always isolation. Not once, like, 
ninety percent of his, his points, yeah, ninety percent of his points come three, from come from ISO ball, right? <laughs> like he just he's not a a rhythm shooter. And if you look at some of the best scores in the league that play off ball, and I think this goes to your point, Justin, of what he's going to work on this summer. If he's truly going to be off ball and wants to be like a Brad Beal or or a Devin Booker type score long term, those guys are hitting some of those like even if they're twenty eight footers, they're catch and shoot threes. Like a lot of their shots are high level of difficulty, but if he's going to play off ball more and be a high level scorer, those are the types of shots he should he should love. Like he'll still shoot a couple of those step backs, but if he can get two or three rhythm threes a game, that's perfect. Yeah, I, isolation off the dribble three is probably the most difficult shot in the NBA, right? Like I don't think For it's sure. it's relatively close. That's the most difficult shot in the NBA. And Nick, like you said, we'll dive into this here in a few minutes, but. The whole idea of Shea playing off ball. I, I've got a lot of thoughts. We'll we'll get to okay. it. But, so but the idea is to, <laughs> yeah, the idea is to get get Shea easier buckets, right? And those ISO step back threes, there's a place for those. Um, but I mean I, I went back uh, and watched every Shea field goal attempt from those last two games. And on plays where he catches, where, where he's off the ball, he, he, the ball is not in his hands. He's moving. He catches a pass and then he does something. Nobody can stay in front of him. Nobody can guard him. Like it, it is, it is absurd. And so that's what the team is trying to, trying to gear towards. I, but Justin, I'm with you watching him play these two games. It's almost like we forgot a little bit. At least I forgot a little yeah. bit. And then you watch and you're just like, holy shit, man. <laughs> this kid can just flat out like burn it. My, I think my favorite two plays from Shea over, over this, this span was they were both against Indiana where the first play he went in on a drive and um, Isaiah Jackson swatted a shot uh, and, and it was a block. They kept it in bounds. It led to an Indiana uh, fast break going the other way. This was early on in that first quarter. The next time Shea drove, got past his man, Isaiah Jackson rotated over. Shea gave a little bit of a head fake, watched Isaiah go flying, and then pulled <laughs> and it then up. Went and up. It, and I was just like, adjustment. He, he's got he's got every counter move in the bat in the in the in the book. Like you can't do anything against it. Look, with all due respect to uh <laughs> I don't even know who the guy's name is. The two people on Ballet Sports to do like the halftime and uh Nancy Lieber, Lieberman's John Radigan and John, John Radigan. Radigan. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Those two. Uh, you know. <laughs> hey, can we, the can first we not time... include shout out and Bally Sports in the same sentence, please? No. <laughs> or can we? Yeah, I'm saying, let's not. Let's not do that ever again. They don't oh, yeah. deserve shout outs. Yeah, I I don't often uh, uh, agree with what they say, but I thought Lieberman made a pretty good point. Um, I think it was after the first game that Shea came back. So it would have been the Phoenix Suns game. What was that Wednesday night when she said like, which the numbers that Shea put up and puts up on a nightly basis. Um, if he wouldn't have gotten injured, those are all-star numbers. And I think you see some of those guys that made it kind of squeaked into the roster there uh, on, on some of those teams from the West. Like I think of Murray, even from the Spurs. Like I think Shea absolutely fits that mold. And so like Nick, you asked about the, the three point shooting and the efficiency kind of to Jacob's point. I think moving forward, you're not going to see him taking as many threes just in general, not so much even the step back threes, but for example, he only took five threes uh, against the Pacers and I can go back and look, but still 
24 shot attempts, 13 and 24 from the floor. Incredibly efficient. Like when he's surrounded by more efficient shooters, he's not going to be having to take those kind of three point shots. And so I think moving forward, he will be efficient. Uh, maybe these last two games are kind of the efficiency we should expect from Shea moving forward, but also we should expect like the limited shot attempts from three. Well, speaking of sharing the floor with guys that can be more efficient and can shoot better, um, two guys, two other guys from this week that I want to talk about. Let's start with Josh Giddy. Uh, Josh only played in that Phoenix game. I think for us on this show, for sure, I think for a lot of Thunder fans, one of the biggest things we were looking forward to in the final 24 games was seeing Josh and Shea play together and seeing how that dynamic works. We talked a lot about it coming out of the All-Star break. Obviously, after the Phoenix game and some of the comments, and we'll get into that, it kind of um, tightened that, that, that idea that we wanted to see that stuff up even more but in the one game that they did play together uh josh had trying to find his stats 15 points nine rebounds six assists in that one game with shea not a triple double nick but josh just continues to do josh stuff and be incredibly impressive yeah and and at this point it's it's all about scoring and shooting I'm I'm sold. Like he is he is going to be an NBA player for a long time. I, I think him being a bust is out of the question. Outside of injuries, like he's gonna be a, a really, really good NBA player. It's the scoring and the shooting that's gonna determine his ceiling. And I think if he can become a solid shooter and average fifteen plus points a game at his peak, he could be the best player on this team when they contend again. Like better than Jay. The, the um, shooting versus scoring. Will you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, there's. I mean, I would I would consider Shea more of a scorer than a shooter. Mm-hmm. Like like Shea averages what twenty three a game. He's scored thirty points like twelve times this year, but I wouldn't call him a shooter. Like he's not a knockdown shooter. Um, I would think like Trey Mann is a sh- Trey Mann's a shooter and a scorer, <laughs> right? Like, like he does both. Whereas but like he's Mus- a hooper or a basketball player. <laughs> like like Muscat so. Muscala is a shooter. Shea's a scorer. Trey's kind of in the middle. He does a little bit of both. And so I think if Josh can can be either a shooter or a scorer, Josh doesn't have to be a 40% three-point shooter. If he can find ways to score the ball, float game, you know, he's crafty around the rim and be efficient in, in that respect and just be, and just be a league average three-point shooter, I think that's just fine. And I think with his rebounding, his passing, his defensive upside with his size, he could be the best player on this team. I think he's... He's not a good shooter right now. No, there's no. a lot of things that give me hope that he can be a good shooter, but I think the finishing at the rim and the floaters, the floaters. have been pretty impressive for me at, for a 19 year old rookie. The touch, yeah, and and both him and Shea are like that. Like Shea is more of a put the English on it finesse. I think Josh, kind of like crafty finisher, right? We think of Josh. He's he's more of a a bruiser, not like a LeBron James or Russell Westbrook bruiser on the rim. But he's not doing the, you know, spinning it off the top right corner of the backboard. He's just, I'm 6'9", I'm bigger than whoever's guarding me. I'm going to bully you in there and just mm-hmm. and, and finish strong. So I think they are different types of finishers, but I think they're both guys that can score at the rim with ease. He's definitely not an athletic finisher. No, right. no, no, no. <laughs> definitely not. And but that's why it's so, it's so important for him to have that pull-up game. Um really the floater. <laughs> I can't yeah. call it a pull-up game yet to Nick's point. If he can develop not only a three-point shot, but a pull-up as well. I mean, he almost becomes unstoppable. Yeah. Uh, well, he has a pretty nice court. little midi, Taylor. We've seen yeah. it multiple times this year. Yeah. True. I think 
if you're the Thunder, you can have like when you're we're talking about contending, like five years from now, eight years from now. I don't. I'm not going to guarantee five years from now they're contending. I'd like to see them. Um, I think the top score on the team is not Josh or Shea, but I think one of those two could be the best player. Right. Jabari Smith Jr. will lead the team in scoring. I agree. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think everyone always, like, the the casual NBA fan looks at points, rebounds, assists, and that's, like, the baseline. Um, I think Josh and Shave can both rebound. They can both pass the ball and generate assists. They can both score at a decent level. But I wouldn't be shocked to see some kind of, like, insanely athletic shooting guard or wing that leads the team in scoring but doesn't necessarily – well-rounded in the other aspects that Josh and Shake. You, you don't need a, you, you could have like a Jalen green, like the peak Jalen green, everyone thought he could be when he came into the draft and still could be like that player could be your top score. He didn't have to be a good rebounder, or a good passer. Cause you've got two other guys and, and Josh and Shay that can do that. That's a really good point. And, and I feel like to, to the point of his scoring, I, we've seen the potential and I think we've seen a little bit of progress in his game over the season. Jacob, you mentioned earlier, like things that give you optimism about that. I think the fact that he has shown some progress throughout the season is nice. I do feel like the, if he can perfect the floater part of his game, um, I feel like that, I don't know. Part of me feels like he's got such good touch with passing. I feel like floaters kind of go hand in hand there. Like there's a touch element to it that I feel like he's got such a good feel for it. He could probably get a like even better floater that really, if you combine that with a respectable three pointer, like one that you can't just Andre Robertson, the guy and ignore him out there, a Ben Simmons situation, like somebody that you have to guard on that line. And then he can cut to the basket and hit a floater or kick out to somebody else. That's a solid enough skills package that, like you said, you don't need him to be a, a dead eye marksman from behind the arc because those skills complement each other well. And if you build the team around that, uh, that sets up really nicely to complement his, you know, like you said, his rebounding and assists and all that stuff. That's what I was thinking, Justin. And it, like, I think it's key when you envision this team and, and you assume, and I think it's a pretty safe assumption at this point that both Shay and Giddy will be on this team. and will be a core part of that team that like Nick mentioned, when they transition back into contention again, um, they're going to have a much more spaced out floor to So to envision Shay and Giddy be, to like be doing this, what they're doing now uh, without that spacing really is even more rem- remarkable. And to, it's exciting to think, what both of them can do when they have more spacing on the offensive end of the floor. Um, now I know we also said that for the longest time with Russell Westbrook <laughs> on this team and that never happened. Um, but I, I do see it happening. And I, like we've talked so much about, I think they're this, they're definitely building the impressed. He's building this team differently than, than that era of thunder basketball. But what I'm most curious about is when you have that spacing, like what does the um, distribution look like? in terms of shots. And I think maybe uh, Thursday night's game against the Suns is pro- maybe a good example. I know Lou Dort didn't play. And to Nick's point, like, you know, let's just use the the easy example here. The Jabari Smith Jr. isn't on this team yet, but you had Shea with 22 shot attempts, Giddy with um, with 15, and Trey Mann with 13. Uh, that's exactly why I think you kind of want to see when you, again, losing on the, on the floor. Um, but I just kind of found that shot distribution interesting. And I think that kind of goes back to Jacob's original question about how Giddy and Shay can kind of fit together. 
<laughs> we mentioned we mentioned the floater and the three pointer. There's a lot of things we could dive in really deep with here. We we got to move on, but that floater when when Giddy gets to the free throw line or a step below the free throw line, and he can consistently nail that floater to where it's on a scouting report, that makes whenever he comes off a screen in the pick and roll, it makes the big man have to step up to take away that floater, which then opens up the lob to when you have a competent big on this team to catch a lob on the backside, right? Or like something you and I talked about, Jacob, here, I'm trying to remember what post game it was, but even a cutter, somebody cutting baseline, yeah, like exactly. a uh, Wiggins. And then if he can get, Nick, you mentioned a like league average three to where he comes off a high screen and roll, if he can come off that and step into a three-pointer to make the defender come over the top, then it's an easy pick and roll with your big going to the rim. And so I feel like Giddy unlocking that stuff plus getting it sounds really rude that I say a competent big. God bless his soul. Like Derek Favors just ain't that guy. Isaiah Roby ain't that guy. Once they get that guy, though, I think it unlocks so much for guys like Josh and guys like Shea. So much. Um, we were talking about spacing the floor. So let's move on to the third guy I want to talk about. I really want to do a a big time deep dive on this guy. We don't have to do that tonight because we're going to run out of time. <laughs> but Trey Mann, in the two games uh, since the All-Star break, came off the bench for the Phoenix game. Uh, with Josh out, he started for the Indiana game. Trey is averaging 16.5 points on 43% from the field, 33% from three, four and a half rebounds, five and a half assists. And I thought he did a lot of stuff that Mark now probably thought that's a lot of broccoli trying to take charges, uh, trying to tie up Isaiah Jackson below the rim. Um, and one thing, Nick, that I think is really underrated that we haven't talked a lot about with Trey yet. I think he's a really good passer. I know you've mentioned a lot. He played point guard in, in college. The dude has some really slick passes to get guys really easy buckets. Yeah, and that's what I was going to, like my comment about Trey is the scoring no longer impresses me. Like if he this week had two 30-point games, like it'd be cool, like awesome, but it, would it shock me? No. It's not going to shock you, right? No, like we, we know the, the kid can score. The passing has been, would you say, five and a half assists? Mm-hmm. That's impressive. Like Shea averages, five rebounds. Shea averages five <laughs> and a half assists and 4.5 rebounds. Like that's, that's Shea. And I, in fact, whenever, I think it was, was it two games ago, maybe the Phoenix game, um, his stat line was identical to Shea's season averages. And so if he can scale that, like I'm not saying he's going to be the next Shea, but like that's, that's impressive at his age. And the passing is, is awesome. Um, the defense is getting better. And, and he's never going to be a Lou Dort lockdown defender. But when you look at a team's overall defensive rating, it's about rotations, being in the right spot, buying into schemes. You don't have to be a lockdown perimeter defender. You just have to yeah, be in he the needs right to spot. Fit, you just said it, he needs to fit into the scheme. Yeah, yeah. And then and he's doing that better and better with each game. He needs to be a pa- passable defender. A league average isn't getting played off the floor yeah. level yeah. defender. And right. do little things, right? Like I um, – oh, it was the, the Royce Young – uh thunder video i forget what they call him oh he's so good at those dude yeah (laughs) royce has been done incredible at those it's awesome and uh dagnaught was really great in that one as well and that's one thing he mentioned they they use the example i think it was um there was one big 
like a game or two before where uh, Trey went down. Uh, this big brings the ball down. Trey doesn't go after the ball. Day don't gets mad, takes him out, uh, takes Trey out. And then it was like a game later, two games later, whatever, when Nikola Jokic had the ball down low, brings the ball down. You see Trey immediately go after that, strip the ball and get the steal. And you saw that's when Mark did like the, the now almost infamous amongst other fans fist pump on the sideline, <laughs> the tire woods fist pump. Um, we're seeing more and more of that. Like, I think we saw it to your point, Nick, I think we saw it uh, against Phoenix and just his defensive instincts as well as his playmaking are the two things that have stood out to me the most, because we've known from since, you know, watching him early on with this team that he's an elite uh, shot creator. But the third thing I think is his confidence, like seeing him being able to step up when Shea is being doubled and triple teamed there towards the end of the fourth quarter in regulation against the Pacers and then into overtime, like being able to be that guy when Shea has all the attention of the defense. Like there, there's only certain, I use this term all the time, Jacob. Um, and we don't do the, we don't say the full thing on the podcast, but he's got the mother effort in him, right? And there's not very many people who possess that gene, that, that quality yeah. and, and trace one of those guys. And it's been kind of fun and impressive. You need a team of mother efforts. Miami Heat's made up of mother efforts. Yeah, this is this is complete <laughs> speculation. And to be clear, Mark likes everybody on the team and wants all of them to play well. Last year, it felt like Mark really liked Ty Jerome. Like when he talked about him, it was like extra energetic and he like had more to say. It seems like that with Trey this year. Like It seems like ooh, Trey is almost like that's his, a good point. his child, like right. his, his project. That project sounds weird when you talk about a human being. But yeah. yes, almost like. So. Like my son's on the team. I'm going to coach him a little harder because yeah, of that. Make sure I don't show sure. favoritism, yeah. but I'm also going to get super excited when he does well. Right. Like it's also a sign of that culture that they're building, right? That, that yeah. accountability, which is awesome. Justin, I have a question for you. Well, we can dive a lot deeper into this next week or on a post game or something, but I've been thinking about this for a little while now, because for me, it's very hard. Last year, I felt like we were having these conversations about Teo Malado. Mm-hmm. And look where he's at now, mm-hmm. right? Like I, if you put a gun to my head, which would be a very grim thing to do. Um, <laughs> but if you put a gun to my head, I would probably say Teo's not on this team opening night next season. They got to make room somewhere. So with that being said, right. W- w- with that out there, I'm having these thoughts about Trey man. Like if the defense can be like average, like not below average, but average, and the shot creation, the the ability to catch and shoot and space the floor. Is he a better long term starting fit next to Shea and Josh rather than Lou? I I, I kind of tweeted Ooh. that. Like I tweeted that out. The when question he was, was for Justin. Justin, your opinions are relevant. Anyways, are uh, <laughs> um, feels right. Anywho, no, that is, that's fascinating. I, I think the Teo caveat is, um, is interesting. It's I, a big I grain think, of salt, you know, it's a big grain of salt. I, I do think the one thing with Trey versus Teo is we, if you go back and listen to our pods, yes, we were excited about how Teo was playing, but I think we all agreed like lower ceiling, not Somebody's super like exciting, <laughs> flashy, like, He's never going to be the guy, but like he seemed really promising. And I think it just kind of feels like now, you know, year two, sophomore slump, not as excited about his upside, but, you know, he could get back to that. Trey feels the opposite. 
Trey feels like his potential is sky high and his electric his, is, I think a good word. Yeah. Like he, he is, you can't take your eyes off of him when he's on the floor because he can light it up so quickly and demand so much attention this early in his career that, you know, unless something happens, I think that's going to continue. I think it definitely gets very interesting to consider him starting alongside Shay and Josh. I feel like it would take a, it just feels very unthundery because this entire, it's the same conversation we've been having since 2008, basically. Yeah. Uh, that's a good point. You know, James Harden and Tabo. It's Trey Mann and Lou Dort. It's a similar situation. Now, Lou Dort, I much better offensive um, uh, ceiling, I think, in this scenario. Trey Mann, probably not the next James Harden. So not <laughs> not the same conversation for sure, but uh, very similar like offense versus defense kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like with the offensive acumen of Shea and Giddy, I would opt for Lou Dort and his defense and then let Trey... Maybe he leads the second unit more often and and kind of takes a primary role there and can really kind of like give you a really solid scoring punch off the bench, can still play alongside those guys in certain situations. Maybe that's your crunch time lineup. But I think I, I feel confident enough in the offense of Shea and Giddy to have Lou Dort out there to just, you know, be the nasty up against whoever the other team's best player is. I think another piece that has to go into that. And again, this is a deep dive that this is the last thing I'm saying about that whole tray stuff before <laughs> we move on. But what if Lou and his, his agent want that 20 mil a year extension this summer? Whereas you have Trey for three more years on a rookie contract at the seventh, what was he? 17th, 16th pick, 18th pick, 18, 18, uh, I think the 18th overall pick is going to make like three to four million a year for the next three years. I mean, there, there's also a financial component there that I think is fascinating as well. Let's table the Trey Man stuff, and we'll circle the wagons in a week because I think it's something really interesting to talk about. Um, Trey's been impressive. He has been very, very impressive. Let's go on to the bigger news of the week. This should have been Plan A for the podcast. <laughs> Post-game after the Phoenix Suns loss, there were a lot of comments from head coach Mark Dagnall, from Josh Giddy, from Shea Gilgis-Alexander about the coexistence between those two players playing together. Um, this Shea playing quote-unquote off-ball uh, while Giddy has the ball in his hands more often. Um, Shea had a few sound bites that sent a lot of Thunder fran- fans into a frenzy. Uh, JD, you have those quotes in front of you. Will you read them off to us before we kind of break them down? Definitely. Um, so the I'm, I'm going to start at the top so that I don't just say the that one specific Shea soundbite that caused the frenzy. We, we want to paint the whole picture here. So Mark Dagnall was was teed off, and I'm reading Joe Masato's transcript of this uh, <clears throat> post game. Uh, this is a question asked to Mark Dagnall. You mentioned Josh being on ball a little bit more tonight than he was a month or so ago when Shea was back in there. Was that just giving Shea a chance to get back in there, or was it by design? Dignalt replied, it's by design. that We've got to be able to utilize Giddy's strengths. He's a really good initiator. He's a really good creator, and we've got to use that part of his game to unlock the potential of the team. 
So that's kind of how the whole thing started. Um, Giddy was asked uh, in his post-game availability, Mark said after the game that moving forward, when guys play together, you're primarily going to be on the ball and he's going to be off. Is that a decision or something you guys talked about over the break? Giddy said, yes, the three of us spoke about it. A lot of it is that Shea uh, has so much gravity and attention to him that sometimes playing off ball is going to free him up even more. Um, Giddy went on to talk like glowingly about how he feels about Shea and their relationship and how they're going to keep growing together as basketball players. And then uh, what in Shea's post game is kind of where I think things may have gotten taken out of context a bit. Uh, Shea was asked, uh, Mark said that moving forward when you and Josh play together, that Josh might be on the ball more and you'll be off. How'd you take that news? Or what did you think of the plan moving forward? Shea initially said, I think it goes back to what I just said. Josh was really good the last few weeks, obviously. Me as a player, I don't want to hinder that at all. I know to be one of the best teams in the league, which we want to be very soon, you've got to have multiple guys that can play on the ball. The follow-up question, two years ago, you were playing alongside Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder. You were off the ball a lot. Do you lean back on some of that and know that you can be a threat off the ball and are comfortable in that position? And then Shea replied, yeah, absolutely. Obviously, it's not my plan A, but it's something that you have to sacrifice to be a really good team. I know that. I learned that early on in my career with that 1920 team. We're really good. Uh, we were really good. Obviously, we had a lot of threats on that team, and each guy had to sacrifice to better the team. So a lot going on there. A lot going on there. Um, I think initially the quote, the quote that caught people off guard a bit was uh, Shea just saying, obviously, it's not my plan A when, when asked if he wanted to play off ball. Yeah, think- which isn't the full picture, but Nick, right. yeah. take it away. I, I just I'll put I'll give one thought and then I'll let you guys piggyback and give your thoughts. Um, I think it's very telling that he followed up at the it's not plan A with the Chris Paul year. Yes, I think that was yeah. like him alluding to something. Like his plan A wouldn't be to be that third kind of option again. Um, I don't think he was saying my plan like it's not plan A for me to play off ball. Like I. Do I think he wants to play off ball? Probably not. But I think him, that'd be like me, you know, starting a sentence talking about something I didn't like and then talking about that thing. And then everyone thinking the last sentence was, a, you know what I mean? It's like he he went into the sentence with plan A. And I think people didn't think about what was said before and what was said after. I think the that comment was more alluding to what he was about to say. That, that's, that's where I'm going to leave it. My plan A isn't to go out and shoot 5,000 shots a day in the offseason, but in order to become elite shooter, I know I need to go out and shoot those shots. Right. The context right. on the second half of the sentence makes the right. sentence. Right. You, you, and then that would be like Twitter aggregating and say, saying Shea's not willing to go shoot 5,000 shots. Put the work shots. in and, and become and, a better and he, shooter. And if he has to, he's, he's going like, to... Exactly. No. My and plan that was A isn't of- to go work out in the gym, but if I want to get back in shape... This is what I got to do to get there, right? Exactly. Like, I think it's it's also important to consider who it is and, and the Thunder have not had drama in a long time. Like how many times have Nor other... Nor has Shea started other, any drama in a long the time. Other, <laughs> the other 29 teams in the league where we see a random quote that's aggregated that someone is saying, like like Nikola Vucevic earlier this season had a huge role shift just because of the way the Bulls are made up now. And he talked about how like it's it's... It didn't say it's not my plan A, but he basically said it's an adjustment. You know, I'm used to being a guy that takes 15 shots a game, and now I'm not. But if but if we're winning games and we're going the right direction, it's worth it. And that's exactly what Shea said. But since he said that plan A piece, people just got caught up on that plan A. If he would have said, 
you know, it's not ideal. No one will be talking about this. It's just yep. the word plan A where you think it's plan B is not as good. It's just two words. It's and people mm-hmm. freaked out. I think you bring up a good it. point, Nick. And I was thinking that as well. Like, um, like two reporters that I think myself and a lot of us um, respect their work, especially when they tweet something out. Um, you know, it, they kind of put it in a context of like, this could be an issue. Uh, one of them was Joe, um, who, who uh, Silva read the, the transcript from. It was uh, Joe's transcript. And I kind of chalked that up to uh, not irresponsibility, but I know there was like some audio issues apparently with Chase stuff. Uh, meanwhile, Art Nick, you were in there as well, but you were still kind of finishing up with the rest of the availability. So like us, we're seeing that on Twitter. Nick's still caught up, hasn't gotten a response to us. We see like, you know, um, Joe and some other Thunderbeat reporters tweets. And so we kind of start freaking out. So when I saw the full transcript, I was exactly with you, Nick, um, thinking like that's not exactly talking plan A wasn't Shay's response about playing with Giddy. It was uh, referring back to his time with that Chris Paul team. Like, yeah, I'm coming into this, coming into the league. I'm a rising star in my second year and I want to be the guy on ball. I want to be a point guard. Like, and he's talked about that in the past. Right. But, um, you know, in order to win for the betterment of the team, like I learned in my, in the year with Chris Paul, you know, you've got to adapt and do what's best for the team in order to win. Um, even if that's not your plan a, like that's kind of how I took it. Um, so I, I'm with you. I think that was kind of taken a bit out of, out of context there. I think the thing that caught my eye with the context piece of it is talking about the Chris Paul year. I feel like there was a lot of wisdom in his full quote that was probably gleaned from Chris Paul, the Chris Paul year, like Good point playing in Oklahoma city was not Chris Paul's plan a, but he did what he needed to do. He sacrificed where he needed to sacrifice. And like, he made the best of a situation and that that team was a lot more successful than people thought they would be 0.2% chance, baby. Exactly. And so I feel like it's, when I when I read it back, that's what came to mind immediately for me is like it was a like little bit analogy. of that like, you know, that this may not be how I envisioned the scenario, but like I think there's a lot of potential for success. Um everybody's got a sacrifice. It everybody's got to sacrifice the their plan A. Like Trey Mann's yeah. plan A is to do step backs every single time he touches the ball and not have to try so hard on defense, but that's not <laughs> what's best for the team also, or his development. I yeah. just want to say if you guys aren't our listeners aren't subbed to the YouTube channel. Uh, you miss great things like Justin making a point about the Chris Paul year and all of us like perfectly in unison, in unison. just slowly nodding the head. <laughs> it's high quality. We're stuff. all just like a good zone defense. We're all in sync. And here's the thing about like the off ball stuff. I think that has been taken out of context. They don't want Shay to be like simply a catch and shoot guy. That's not the plan. If you go back and you watch some of the possessions from that Phoenix game, Shea is moving when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, which is incredibly important and something he hasn't done a lot this season. Josh is running an action on one side of the court. And when they do that, that makes Shea's defender have to have half his attention on where is the ball on the floor. The other half of his attention on where is Shea at because I'm guarding that guy. Whenever Shea has the ball and he's just isolated at the top dribbling, all eyes on him, right? It's kind of like a like a Tupac song, all eyes on me. All <laughs> eyes are on him and everyone can and hone he in on him. wears Tupac shirts. There I you mean, go. And but when you go back two. and you watch those possessions, 
wherever Josh has the ball, finds Shea and passes it to him. Shea has like a second, a half a second of opportunity there where the defense isn't set. And those possessions ended with Shea free throws or Shea having a really easy layup at the rim or Shea having a really easy catch and shoot three. And so the idea isn't pigeonhole Shea into this catch and shoot role. The idea is take some of the attention, defensive attention off of Shea so the game becomes easier. When the game becomes easier, you're more likely to win. It's a really simple concept that I think people have taken out of context a lot. I agree. Jacob, you mentioned in our, in your post game you did um, for the Pacers game. And you mentioned as well, when you uh, did a post game with John Hamm, um, you mentioned Shea attacking, you know, not starting with the ball, not bringing the ball up, but getting the ball back to him and that same possession and then being able to attack so much easier because he has a defender on his heels. And I thought that was a really good point, but just really quick, uh, because I know we're going a little long, maybe on Shea comments, but when I looked back on those transcripts the next morning, it wasn't the plan A that stuck out to me the most about those quotes, just kind of for the reasons that Nick and I mentioned earlier. It was the, uh, you know, being one of the best, if we want to be one of the best teams in the league, which we want to be very soon. I think Shea, look, again, Presley's going to do what's best for the team. Um, But at a certain point, you got to start pushing some chips to the middle of the table and start to build this thing out. And I think Shea's ready for that. He's proving on the floor that he's ready for that. Guys like Josh Giddy and Trey Mann are already starting to do that. And um, I don't know. I found that interesting a bit as well. I'm not sure how much longer Shea's going to be willing to ride this out. I I thought about this too, Taylor. Like this isn't middle school or high school basketball where your coach tells you to do something and you just do it. Or like, you know, the principal tells you to do something, you do it. Like they're all adults. There's going to be conversation. There's going to be a pushback. Um, I would not be shocked if when front office slash coaching staff came to Shea and because it was a clear conversation, like, like Mark even said, there was an explicit mm-hmm. conversation about this. I wouldn't be shocked if Shea said, I'm, I'm willing playing. to make this sacrifice to play off ball but I want to win sooner than later. Not like putting pressure on the front office, but I wouldn't be shocked if that was a, a conversation that was had. Like I'm having That's to what I'm getting at. as I long agree. as, as long as we're, as long as we're going in the right direction and, and going to be winning games sooner than later. But also hint, hint, like uh, you can't sit me out the rest of this season because I'm injured. I'm coming back to play. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how, how much I look into that one. There's, 25 other teams that feel the same way. Like we want to win, uh, be, be a great team in this league really soon. Like I'm sure Carl Anthony towns feels that way. Devin Booker <laughs> felt that way for a long have time. The chips to do that. Presti could, they have, intentionally Presti, could tanking. Have, Presti could have built a playoff team at the deadline. Quite frankly, pretty yeah. easily. I would even say. Yeah. But I also think we see the very, very small tip of the iceberg in comparison to the conversations that happen behind the scenes. And right. Um, I, I said this, I think on a Twitter spaces the other day, and I'll say it again. Like, I don't think Shea agrees to a five year, no opt out, no, no player option, no nothing um, without those conversations happening first. Right. No, no, no. Right. Totally agree. I, I was just pushing back on Minnesota wants to be good. Like they don't have the same lever Sam Presti does to be good. Well, and they, and they, I don't know, like 
Shay understands where this franchise is now. I just think he wants to, he's seeing these other guys step up and he's like, okay. And, and he's seeing the production that he's having on the floor. Even when some of these guys are out, he sees the system that this team's building. They're winning games, even when they honestly shouldn't be. And he's like, look, we have something here. Let's, let's start to work with it. Yeah. I, uh, I'm on record. I think they start to, to make some moves this summer, but I think the real plan is after the new CBA in 2023. Yep. That just, it makes too much sense. All right. Well, speaking of wanting to uh, move the team forward, make some plans, get some high quality uh, young guys in here. It's time for a tank update. Silva. Do you have the sounder queued up? Cause you're muted. Loser. You're a loser. (laughs) That means that the number one pick in the NBA draft goes to Half the tank sounder seems appropriate because the Thunder won half their games. Uh, OKC is sitting awesome. still. It feels like it's been this way all season. Fourth in the reverse standings. Um, they have four more wins than Houston, uh, who lost tonight at the buzzer against the Clippers. Horrible, horrible tank game for OKC. They have five more wins than Orlando. Only four more wins than Detroit because our guy Kelly Olenek hit a game winner about 10 minutes before we came on the on the live stream. Ooh. So shout out to Kelly Olenek. They have two less wins than Indiana, three less wins than Sacramento, and they play Sacramento Monday night. Gentlemen, I keep asking you this question. I feel like I ask it every week. I'm going to ask it again. How do you feel about OKC holding on to the fourth best lottery odds? And how worried are you about Indiana and Sacramento uh, before you answer, I feel like it is important to contextualize four versus five in the reverse standings. If you are fourth, you have a 48.1% chance at a top four pick. If you are fifth, that drops to 42%. You lose six percentage points, uh, dropping that one spot. How do you guys feel about OKC staying in four, uh, or are you worried that they're going to slip to five or six? I think the Sacramento game is humongous for tiebreaker reasons. Sacramento has won two. Oklahoma City has won one. That a win for Sacramento would essentially be 1.5 games, uh, like a differential created because that's one That's one more win for them, one more loss for Oklahoma City, and then the tiebreaker goes to Sacramento. So they have to be kind of a half game or a full game behind OKC to actually, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying? Uh, big game. I think five's the worst case. I, I just don't see two teams jumping Oklahoma City in the tank standings. I think I'm with you, especially with the deadline trades yep. that Sacramento made. Uh, Justin, Silva, Taylor, any other thoughts on, on the four spot? I agree. It feels um, stable. I very, very, very much would like to see a late season push to get higher in the reverse tank standings than four. I think I still have PTSD from last year and (laughs) watching the lottery reveal show and seeing OKC at six. And like, I don't think I could handle that a second year. And it makes me sympathize with Nick Nick's fans. Not Nick. I don't sympathize with Nick, but <laughs> but with Nick's fans. And I don't like sympathizing with Nick's fans. Uh, but I just yeah, it's a big it's a big important 
time in this Thunder team. And I think we, for all the reasons we just talked about, and the OKC needs to control their own destiny as much as they can. And the flattened lottery odds make that a lot harder to do. But anything the Thunder can do to try and ensure a little bit higher, I think they need to explore. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Makes me wonder how many games of these final 22 that guys like Lou Dort and Mike Muscala and Kenrich Williams are going to play um, in place of Vit Krejci and mm-hmm. Teo Maladone and Alexei Pokashevsky, who's been really good, by the way. I thought Poku deserved to to play in the closing minutes of that Indiana game. I agree. Mark Saddam, I thought I thought he deserved to play because uh, he was really good. But yeah, I, I think Nick, we talked about this earlier, but the injury list. Uh, and how long it is and how there's been no updates. Um, I think it's going to kind of continue to be that way. Um, they are going to want to explore uh, one of Justin's favorite uh, phrases, roster exploration. Mm-hmm. Check out those young guys. Let them get some burn down the stretch here. Um, but I'm with you guys. I think four is the most realistic spot. Uh, one thing that gives me a lot of hope in that is in, OKC needed to lose that Indiana game for the tank. That was a very important tank game. Nick said that the Sacramento game is important. I thought the Indiana game was equally as important. They win that game in overtime, but then Indiana turned around today and beat Boston. That was big. Which was a really big win. Indiana, according to Tankathon, has the 29th easiest schedule remaining. Um, They have two against Orlando, two against the Pistons, one against the Rockets, one against the Kings, one against the Spurs. Uh, They don't have a lot of really high-quality games left. A lot of their games are against some of the bottom feeders of the league, which I think is going to be a massive benefit to OKC. Anything helps. Um, Flip side of the coin, is there any chance someone like Houston, Detroit, or Orlando going a little run? That's what I was going to ask you because the Detroit's gotten two wins this week, but uh, they have. I I still don't think they're they're going to pass. Not enough. OKC, Detroit, enough. and Oklahoma City both in their past ten. Actually, Orlando, Detroit, and OKC all three and seven in their last ten. Hmm. The uh, the four game win streak earlier this season is going to be what we look back on and think, man, <laughs> <laughs> we could have got Jabari Smith if it wasn't for that. <laughs> 
Hey, uh, Markel Fultz is is coming back apparently for the Magic, so you never tomorrow. know. Tomorrow, good for tomorrow. him. Tomorrow, I love I love seeing that kind of stuff. <laughs> Me too. It's cool to see. More tank update. Uh, the Los Angeles Clippers won two close games this week. They of beat course. the Los Angeles Lakers, which was an important game because the Lakers are right behind the Clippers. Uh, and then they beat Houston tonight in the final seconds. That would have been a massive game for the OKC tank update. Uh, Clippers now at 32 and 31. They are in the eighth spot in the West. I believe they are three games up. Is this correct? Um, yeah, three games up on the Lakers. Uh, they have five more wins than the Lakers do. Uh, and they are, uh, they have eight more wins than the Portland Trail Blazers. Um, it, it's, it feels it's like down to them losing the plan. Yeah, it feels like eighth is the lowest the Clippers are going to get. Obviously, the Thunder want them to get nine or ten because if you're the ninth or tenth seed, one loss in the play-in bumps you out. Where if you're seven or eight, it takes two losses. Any chance down the stretch here that the Lakers can overtake the Clippers and put the Clippers in that winner go home situation? I think the Lakers are so banged up that they are just fine they, they know they're going to be a play-in team whether it's seven eight nine ten and they're so far behind now if i if i were the lakers i would not like rest my guys the rest of the way but i would i would set myself up to where playing you're kind playing of tournament game one <laughs> you've been you've been rested up your guys are fully healthy and you're ready to rock because at this point what what is going on a win streak right now and like pushing you guys to the limit do you know you're not getting to six right Lakers also have the second most difficult schedule in the league remaining. Yeah, just just get they your guys healthy. Two against Phoenix, two against the Dubs, one against the Jazz, one against the Sixers, two against Dallas, one against Cleveland. In fact, what they should do, just sit LeBron and AD and let Russell Westbrook go 2016 MVP again. There you go. <laughs> I like it. I'm here for it. The narrative changes. Does it? <laughs> do you guys... If the standings stay as they are, which on the back end of the West, I feel like there's a chance that it could. Um, looking at it here real quick again, uh, the Lakers currently have a two and a half game lead on the 10th seed Portland Trailblazers. Uh, Portland is up a game on the Pelicans. It's looking like, and, and a lot can change. We still have a lot of games left, but there'd have to be. I, I would say fairly significant shifting to get us to not have a, it's not the Staples Center anymore. What is it? The crypto.com. The, the crypt. The crypt. The, to have a crypt catastrophe. I'm, no, I'm trying to use alliteration <laughs> here of Lakers versus Clippers in the play in where they both play in LA. Lakers have to win twice to get into the playoffs, Clippers only have to win once to get in the playoffs. If it comes down to that, how do you feel about the Clippers uh, making the playoffs? Oof. It'd be fun. That'd be a yeah, lot I of mean, fun. What was I the, what was the st- I saw this last night on Twitter that the Clippers have won like it's like thirty of the last thirty six games against the Lakers or something like oh that. Does that gosh. feel right? Uh, that number might be too high but it was like it was a really high percentage of you know the last few years worth of matchups and that uh, outside of just this season 
it's just kind of a, a microcosm of those two teams. I would not feel good if I were a Lakers fan. I keep thinking exactly. I'm with you, Justin. Like this whole entire season, I feel like even through like the rough start that they had, like heading into that actual halfway point and not like, you know, here right before all-star break, I just kept telling myself, kept saying on the podcast, like, well, they have AD, they have LeBron, they'll figure it out. So I think of like the playoffs, right? And it's like, you have those kinds of players. You, you'd want to bet on the team that has those kind of players, but it's, it's hard to do that right now. I just have zero faith in the Lakers. They're, yeah. Down 11 to the Pelicans at half right now is not a good look. Ooh. Speaking yeah. of which, I definitely think the Pelicans are jumping the Blazers for that 10th spot, that playing spot. Oh, interesting. Ooh. I CJ. think some Pelicans are going to start having uh, some hamstring issues. Ah, uh, yeah. Hmm. But they traded um, for CJ. Cl- Clippers <laughs> next two are just um, the mirror of what they just played. Uh, they have the Rockets and the Clippers Tuesday and Thursday. Ooh. Sorry, That's Rockets and the Lakers. They are the Lakers. Win win situation. <laughs> Yeah, Rockets, and then the Lakers, and then the Knicks, Dubs, Wizards, Hawks, Pistons, Cavs, Raps. Uh, their closing of the season gets pretty difficult, though, so hopefully that'll be a benefit for the Thunder. Um, but yeah, our, our hopes of that Clippers pick being a lottery pick feel like they're starting to get a little bit more slim than they originally were. So... Uh, all right. Well, let's move on. We don't really need to do a, a tank update on the Phoenix pick that the Thunder own. It's going to be pick 30. <laughs> Chris Paul's out. It's still going to be pick 30 because I think Phoenix is still up like six games on everybody yep. in the league. So to close us out, let's take a trip around the association. I don't even know where you're sitting at. Like. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful gentlemen after the all-star break after trade deadline it feels like it is time for us to update our eastern conference and western conference finals predictions so boys lay them out what do you got? Nick, you're up first. Dang it. Um, <laughs> you, want me to, you want me to start with the West and go around the horn? Do you want to get, get the entire like landscape of the Final Four teams? Okay, you do whatever you want to do. Just tell us who's in the Eastern Conference, who's in the Western Conference Finals. Eastern Conference. We've got Philly. Ooh. And we've got... You're that confident in Philly after two games? I said Philly before they, they traded for James Harden. Oh, okay. Um, and the Bucks. I think the Bucks are nice. I think they're being slept on. Um, out west, I think it's got to be Warrior Suns. Like mm-hmm. the Grizzlies are fun, but they're a little too young, a little too inexperienced. The Jazz what they said about just... OKC in 2012. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I tease. I tease. There's only one jaw. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the the Jazz just don't strike me as a, a great team. The Mavs don't have the star power. And then from there, it's like the Nuggets haven't looked good. Maybe if Jamal comes back, but like the West is pretty clear to me. I think the East is the the more fun conversation. I don't know if you guys agree. 
I did see MPJ is apparently uh, supposed to get cleared here soonish and play in March, but even then, like we haven't seen enough from Michael Porter Jr. himself. Without, to your point, Nick, without Murray, to really think that they can do something. I'm, I'm with you in the West. I think uh, Suns Warriors is is it just because as fun as the Grizzlies are, when it comes down to a five two seven game series, the Warriors just have a little too much firepower there, and we we've seen what Steph can do when he really turns it on, especially if if Clay can stay healthy. And I think he's only he, he was out tonight or today or whatever it was, just because of an illness. It wasn't anything injury-related, so that's good to hear. And the East, that's where it gets so interesting. Like, that is that's tough. I think I want to go 76ers Bucks also. I don't think the Nets... I, I just don't trust Ooh. the Nets. I don't trust in the Nets. I don't think Ben Simmons can... Ben Simmons is... Look, I... I I don't know. We probably shouldn't dive down that rabbit hole. <laughs> I, I think there's a reason he's not coming back uh, being clear before March 10th. I'll just leave it at that. I am going to say something else because I don't want to say the exact same things as the previous two, <laughs> even though that's what I want to say. Um, in the West, I'm going to go Phoenix-Memphis. Grizz are going to shock hot. the world. John ja Morant is going to be uh, the most popular person in the country. I love it. And uh, we're going to get Ja versus Steph, and it's going to be magnificent. In so the playing last year and it was magnificent. Yeah. In the East, I'm going to go Philly. And uh, Cleveland. Wow. I like, and, I yeah. like that. I'm, I'm all in on the young guns. And maybe I'm manifesting here of uh, what my future hopes for this young Thunder team are. But let's see the path of uh, two teams that have been through the stink and are coming out the other end. I like it. <laughs> Which was a way grosser phrasing than it was in my head. Um, but I'd like to see the Thunder, you know, get some of that shine in a few years. Silva, what do you got? Well, as the last person in this roundtable, I feel like I have to get at least a little weird with these <laughs> yes. picks. So in the West, I will say Phoenix, yes. And the Nuggets, which go on a surprising Ooh. playoff run after Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray look great immediately. In the East, I think it's Sixers and Nets, and it ends when Doc Rivers starts fouling the hell out of Ben Simmons making him shoot free throws, and he <laughs> mentally collapses again. Yes, yes. I love it. Uh, my, my pick <laughs> in the West is... Phoenix versus the Dubs, which I think is just going to be uh, phenomenal basketball. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, in the West, I like. I, I, I'm with Nick. I like Milwaukee. I like Philly. Um, a team that I really don't like at all, just personally, don't like this team. But I think they could end up there. Is the Miami Heat? I was going to say the Heat. <laughs> the Heat are, yeah. are up there pretty high. Um, Brooklyn just has too many questions. Um, I don't trust <laughs> Kyrie Irving. Well, Silva has made a good point on Brooklyn too. Like, if Ben Simmons has to play a series against the Sixers, those games yep. in Philly, he is going to be a train wreck mentally. Like yep. that would oh, be someone, so someone might stab so him. Hard. That would be so hard to go back and play to the chance, the hack, the hack of Ben. Like it would be and like, miserable dude, do, for him. Do you remember playing when center? That that guy courtside double birded Russell Westbrook? Yeah. And like, what Russ yeah. has never done anything to anybody in Philly. Yeah. Imagine what they're gonna do to Ben. Yeah, like, ben needs to be. have 
like a mental awakening. They're gonna have to like to make it do that series. The Nets would have to start like Andre Drummond to, <laughs> to defend Embiid. And that's just okay. So let's go. Who's in the finals? We, we've done our Eastern Conference, Western Conference. Who are our finals picks? I'll go last. Oh, okay. Silva, you can go first since I made you go last last time. <laughs> Hell yeah. We'll it's reverse Phoenix. the order. It's Phoenix. It's Philadelphia. And I'm picking Phoenix. Oh, that matchup is that. so much fun. You have Aiton versus so Embiid. Much fun. You have Chris versus James, which is an incredible storyline. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I There's just, there's a lot of, I mean, you have Tyrese Maxey, who's basically like a young Devin Booker versus Devin Booker. There's there's a lot of fun matchups there. Justin, what do you got? I'm gonna keep this uh train rolling. Memphis, Cleveland. Oh <laughs> and the NBA is pissed as ratings go on the toilet. Right. Darren Robell is gonna have like forty seven tweets about media markets and some <laughs> stupid crap. My and everyone else that actually likes basketball. Is going to have a lot of fun because, yeah. like, John Morant versus Darius Garland is going to be, be a awesome. blast. Jared Mowgli, Allen versus like Triple J and Steven. Yes. It's going to be it's incredible. And as a Thunder fan, I'm just going to sit there and close my eyes and pretend it's 2028. <laughs> we get to see Jared Allen's outfits critiqued and like every uh, <laughs> intro. My guy's just trying to be cozy. Yep, okay. I Everyone like needs to back off. Taylor, what do you got? Ooh. I think I'm going. I, I'm going. I, I definitely think Suns. I think this is a this is Chris Paul's year. I'm going Suns and I'm going Bucks. I think we're going to get a rematch. I think the Bucks are going to uh, be back. They're going to pull it off. They're really going to start clicking here soon. Uh, going to find some depth finally. Now they have some newish pieces, and I think the Suns are going to do it in the rematch. Taylor took my conference. <laughs> finals teams. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but I, I genuinely uh, disagree on both for the finals. I'm going to go <laughs> I'm going to go Philly Warriors. Oh, that would be so much fun. And I'm going to die on this hill and Jacob disagrees every single time. <laughs> James Wiseman is legit. He's coming back soon. He's finals MVP. starting center. No. But he will get playoff minutes, and he will be a difference maker for the Warriors, and they will win it all. all. Right? Hey, he just got assigned to the G League to uh, start his ramp up. So, yeah, just for practice. But yes, it's getting he, close. He is. He's on his way. Um, my heart says says Phoenix. Phoenix in the finals versus man. The East is such a crapshoot. Mm-hmm. I'll jump on the train and go Philly. I'll go with Silva. I'll go Phoenix, Philly. Um, the PH versus the PH sounds fun. Um, in the finals. Yeah. PH. If somebody doesn't make those shirts, <laughs> P-H-I-N-A-L-S. We Gotta will, be in the script, though. Yeah, just print money. I mean, that's all you're doing at that point. Um, I got Phoenix winning it all. I really want Phoenix to win it. I really want Phoenix to win it. Agreed. All right. Any uh, any parting thoughts before we log off for the week, boys? I was trying to think of a uh, fun thunder quotes from players in the past. There's not very many. There's uh, the mellow saying "Who me?" Uh, my personal favorite is Kendrick Perkins shoving Stephen Adams in practice and screaming, "I am the Silverback." <laughs> hey, my favorite mellow quote is whenever they threw water on him and he uh, indeed said, "Ah, uh, mother, mother, 
shit. Oh, and then shit. Nick Gallo just sat there and smiled because he didn't know what the hell to do. Uh, and a who me, another great mellow, mellow moment. That was the um, first one that so that was the one Silva already said. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor blacked out briefly. Justin, you, you got a thunder quote, Justin? I was thinking. Um, I, I hate to throw a KD quote out, but uh, I I always think about the when KD and Russ are in the post game press conference. KD puts his hand out and says he's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly because I say that in my head a lot about other people. That's a good one. So I yeah I resonate with that one. Nick, you get quotes from these guys all the time. What's your favorite Thunder quote? <laughs> I've got two, and they okay. were both before my time. Um, one of them. Next question. Never, I never, <laughs> I never got to witness that live. I wish I wish I had. Would you wear it as a badge like Barry Trammell does if you got next questioned? You've got to own that. You got to be like the guy in the market that just like goes against the grain that's a hard badge to wear like that's it's not like it's not something you wear for like one post game and then you're like back to back to normal like no you can't it's, it's tough no i could not wear that badge um <laughs> the next one wasn't really a quote i don't think it was when he was in oklahoma city but russ's quote on pat bev that he's just running out around out there fooling y'all or something what was that what was the exact quote bev trick y'all yes that's it yes that's a pat good one bev trick y'all um, maybe the maybe goes. the greatest Russell Westbrook quote of all time. Uh, reporter asks Russ about Joel Embiid. Y'all cool now? <laughs> and I'm sure you all remember the the vicious snow. <laughs> what a great quote! Uh, like what was the? Uh, he, he, he had some venom in that one. That was a great quote. He had that quote too after he resigned or he signed his extension the summer that Katie. Who left. me? No, not who me. Um, yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Sting, but it sting was, for who? Sting for who? There it is. Did, did it hurt who. when he that's left? Did it sting when he left? Sting for who? Boom. <laughs> All right. We, we're forgetting the here. most important one. Scare money, don't make none. Sam Preston. Yeah, uh, Sam Preston. Uh, there it is. Yes. Well done. Well done. Speaking, Speaking of, of the quotes, new rap song. Maybe you can pull some quotes from uh, the new Bayes track that we're going to outro to. Hey, thank you guys for tuning in to the Uncontested. If this is your first time on the stream. Thanks so much. Make sure to join, sub, sub to our YouTube channel. If you're listening to the podcast version, we really appreciate you. Drop that five star, DM it to us. We will mail you Uncontested stickers. Also, if you're on the YouTube stream, you can watch Taylor dance to the bass song. So uh, Poorly. Poorly, we might add. Total white dad dance. <laughs> you got to stop. We'll be back with you guys tomorrow night after the Thunder take on the Sacramento Kings. Until then, and as always, Thunder up. I just got the bins. I think the Lord, I ain't got a question. None of my friends. That struggle was worth it, but I ain't going back again. I know people watching me ball, but it's only from the stands. I'm going to put on what I want.